banned. Banned from YouTube. Right into it, Brady. Right into <laughs> making me feel like I've been naughty and got suspended <laughs> from YouTube. What did you do? Did you upload indecent <laughs> material? Does it involve bombs, terrorism, nudity? Don't sound so intrigued, Brady. <laughs> For those of you who don't follow me on Twitter and were not exposed to Grey complaining over the past weekend, I woke up on a nice Sunday morning and... I was like, oh, let me go check my stats on YouTube. I have a nice little spreadsheet. Oh, yeah, a bit of Sunday spreadsheet stats. Yeah, Sunday spreadsheets, for sure. Oh, nice. I had a coffee in one hand. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to download this CSV file and import it into numbers and then you know, be able to manipulate the data in the way that I wish and have it presented in a way that is understandable to me. And I was like, oh, it's going to be great. What a nice relaxing morning. Uh -huh. What was not relaxing is I, I went to youtube.com and the moment that I logged in, there was this half a second where I immediately knew, uh-oh, something's up. And mm. it's the thing where you can see when a web page has redirected you. It landed very briefly on YouTube and then boop, redirected me to this other page. The naughty step. Yeah, this is the you're in trouble step. Yeah. So staring me in the face, this big message. Unable to access a Google product. Google, of course, the parent of YouTube. Huh. If you've been redirected to this page from a particular product, it means your access to this product has been suspended. Read on for further information. <laughs> like, oh no, right? Because this is my YouTube account. This is the place where I would upload videos to all of the subscribers. Like, this is not good news. Is your initial feeling like, complete and utter panic like this is the end of the world or is it more like oh this is just a small mistake i've made or they've made and this is going to be sorted out or like what's your default position when this kind of thing happens i was i wouldn't say panicked it's like the maryland point of panic where you go way past the scale and you end up back at kind of a like a nervous calmness yeah it's really bad but we've maxed out what we can actually perceive on this scale. Like entirely losing your YouTube account is so catastrophic that it just can't be real. It's not a great feeling. And then the description is the kind of description that really doubles down on, this doesn't feel good. So they go, your access to YouTube has been suspended because of a perceived violation of either the Google Terms of Service or the YouTube Terms of Service. By the way, mm. I really enjoy that part there. Not a violation of the terms of service, but a perceived violation of the terms of service. Right. Like, what a great word of leeway that they've given themselves there. We have terms of services, but if you violate them, or if we just think that maybe you have, or we perceive that you have, we can suspend your account. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, that's going to be hard to fight if you're in some kind of weird gray area. Huh. Then it continues onward, right? For further information, blah, 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 blah. And the part of the, I like at the end are these, these two final things. Like, oh, by the way, before you go, Google reserves the right to terminate your account at any time for any reason with or without notice. And then at the bottom, <laughs> was this helpful? Yes or no? <laughs> 
That's going to be a no. <laughs> See, this is a hell of a page to land on, right? There's, yeah. there's no information about what is it that you may or may not have done. Yeah. There's no specifics. And the only things that they do tell you is you might have violated our terms of service, but even if you didn't, we could have just shut you down without ever letting you know, which, by the way, I didn't get a notification about this account's access being suspended. So just like, goodbye, and we'll never talk to you again. <laughs> this is the uh, digital equivalent of coming home and your wife has gone and has cleared out all the cupboards <laughs> and everything, and there's no note. <laughs> That's not a bad comparison at all. It is a little bit like getting fired as well is a little bit what the feeling feels like, but also then mixed in with these complicated feelings of, but I'm not even an employee, right? Like I was doing this thing. I was trying to build something and it's like, oh, it's all just maybe gone for who knows why. What was your first step after reading that? Okay, so because I am a YouTuber with millions of subscribers, I have access to a partner manager. Hmm. So like there's an email of an actual human being somewhere in Google that I can message to try to get stuff like this resolved. Or a really good AI. Well, I mean, I've never met them, so I have no idea. Mm. And at least in years past, I have often emailed a partner manager with questions like, hey, can I get access to content ID? And it's always like, oh, no, we're not allowed. You, you can't have that. It's like, oh, but I have friends who have that. No, you, we can't do that. So it's like, it's not... In the past, I have not found it like a wildly helpful resource. It's more helpful than nothing, though. So this is the thing. More helpful than nothing. And they can usually email someone else when something goes wrong. It's an escalation point. Yeah. So I emailed a partner manager who is new for me. I was like, uh, hi. <laughs> I can't get access. I don't understand what has occurred. Now, it is the weekend, though. So... I'm not necessarily expecting any response. Hmm. And this is this strange thing of YouTube is, a, is an always happening business. Like, you know, it's, it's 24 hours a day all over the world. And they're showing videos all the time. But surely the platform is so enormous that on any given day, someone is always having a problem at a really inconvenient time. Hmm. It's like it just occurred to me that this whole concept of, oh, there's a person in a particular time zone, I don't even know what time zone, right, who may or may not be able to help you. It seems like there are moments when it is totally not adequate. And if this had been a day where I was intending to upload a video, this would have been like a real problem. Hmm. Or even if something had happened on the channel where it's like, oh, I need to go in and change something. It's, it's like, nope, you get nothing and you have no idea when this is going to be resolved. Yeah. So of course, I took to Twitter and complained. I got to talk to someone. I guess I'll talk to Twitter and complain about this situation. Just as an aside, Gray, and I know this is something we're going to come back to, this obviously will be ringing alarm bells for some people who are familiar with Project Cyclops. <laughs> this wasn't what caused the end to Project Cyclops, though, was it? This is just a coincidence. Project Cyclops, where you had taken yourself off social media for a yeah. year, had actually already ended. Yeah, it had ended a couple of weeks earlier. Right. But I think this would have been a breaking event. Right. Promises to yourself are all well and good. But when your whole career has been shut down for who knows yeah. what reason, you're going to use the next biggest platform that you have to talk about it. 
I don't have millions of people on Twitter, but I have a couple hundred thousand people on Twitter. And it's like, this is now my next outlet. Well, you're lucky you hadn't been suspended off there. This is where you start to think about this like cascade effect of like, what's going on? I have no idea. And it's genuinely like a really uncomfortable situation to be in. And it was also doubly frustrating to me because I'd been on a really good roll of like working days of just like, man, I'm hitting it out of the park every day, like just getting a lot of writing done and like I'm feeling really great. And this is the kind of thing that even though there's nothing I can do but wait, it really throws off your ability to focus on other stuff during the day. It's like, why am I writing this script if I don't even have a YouTube channel? I'm sure it will get resolved, but like it's just it's just in the back of your mind. It was not a great situation. So what happened? Well, is it the tweets that save the day or did your partner manage to save the day or you have got access again? What happened and why did it happen? I think there was a combination of partner manager and also complaining publicly that brought the situation to a close, but in the most unsatisfactory way ever. So I eventually did get communication from YouTube and the communication wasn't a proper form or anything. It was, oh, hey, uh, we've restored your access to YouTube. And it looks like, looks like is a great phrase here as well, because it still leaves that uncertainty. It was perceived. <laughs> yes. It was perceived that your account was in violation of our impersonation terms of service for CGP Grey. Right. So my account was suspended for impersonation of me. I was suspended for impersonating me. Was it a verified account? Yeah, yeah. It was it a was. verified account. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. my best guess, based on very little information, is I know that YouTube is doing something to change the way their verification system works. Hmm. And I'm thinking, maybe there's some kind of outlier problem here that I got swept up in. And I have since found out that Several other YouTubers have had the same thing happen to them where their, okay. their account has been suspended and they've gotten at least automated emails saying, oh, you have been suspended for impersonating you. Huh. So anyway, that was a super fun time. This is what it's like to be a professional YouTuber and really have the point brought home that you have absolutely no control or rights to access the largest number of your audience on a platform that somebody else controls. <laughs> what do I take from this? What am I supposed to like, you know? Brady, there are no lessons to be learned here, except that, you know, this is just the way that things are. Don't impersonate yourself, Brady, I think is maybe what you should, what you should learn. How long did you lose access for altogether? It's an interesting question. I don't know when the suspension happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. I checked on Sunday morning and I didn't get access back until Monday afternoon. So it was more oh, okay. than 24 hours. It was a long enough period of time. Yeah. But how would you have felt if this had happened to you, Brady? Like, to me, it's this weird, like I said, Maryland point of so absurd, it's sort of funny. But I don't know, yeah. like, if this had happened to you, how do you think you would react? I think I would have thought, this can't be real. This will be fixed. Mm -hmm. But after a day and a bit... I would have tweeted more than you did. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I'm going to give it until the end of the working day on Monday. That was sort of my mental line of yeah. try not to really freak out until it's been a full business day. I mean, I don't know that it hasn't happened to me. I'm, I mean, I don't know if this sounds like a humble brag, but I have enough 
accounts that I don't know whether I have lost access to some of mine at the moment. I just haven't don't know because I haven't logged into them yet. Yeah, and that's totally possible. You could just miss it. So one of the things yeah. I checked was that I still had access to my CGP Grey 2 account, which yeah. if anything should be flagged for impersonating me, surely it would be that one. But no, yeah. okay. That account I still had access to. But I had lost access to CGP Grey and the ever so valuable CGP Play, my YouTube streaming You lost channel. that one too. Yeah. Clearly what's happened is that they've somehow identified your CGP Grey 2 channel as your like main channel. And the other two were pinged for impersonating it. Maybe. I have no idea. But you are not humble bragging. This is the mm. weird kind of problem that you could run into and that makes everybody mm. feel uncertain about stuff of, oh, you're uploading a video to a channel that you use less frequently and you go to log in to upload it that day and it's like, oh, no, you can't. This is impersonating another educational YouTube channel. You don't have access. But if it's been long enough as well, you could have moved beyond the suspension zone into the deleted zone. Like if you don't, if it's a channel I only log into once every few months. That is something that I was really wondering about. And that is also the thing that helped me not go completely nuclear is all of the videos are there. Yeah. But I do agree. Like, And it did pop into the back of my mind of, I had just come back from a very isolated like working retreat and I was thinking like, man, if this had happened at the beginning and I didn't notice for a week, which is very easy to do if you're me, like would I have come back to, there's no YouTube videos. Like it was all mm -hmm. just deleted. I have no idea. And it's horrifying. <laughs> You'll never go a week without noticing because you've always got Sunday spreadsheet stats <laughs> when you do a bit of early morning manipulation <laughs> of those numbers. I don't do it every Sunday, but maybe now I should make yeah. it a regular thing. So, you did mention Project Cyclops has ended. Yes. How long did it last? How long were you off social media for? So, the original plan was, I think, a month that then got extended mm. to three, which mm. then ended exactly a year after it had started. So, it got to a point where you thought, I want to get to a year just because it's cool to say I was off for a year. Well... Not really. Like, there's a bunch of complicated things. It was much more a bit of the reverse, where I could imagine a scenario under which I had decided, oh, I'll just do this indefinitely. But right around the time I was seriously trying to think about, oh, do I want to come back? Do I want to end the project or not? I was realizing it was about a year, and I thought, you know what? That's just a good time to come back. And if I do extend it longer... It's just going to be possibly infinite and arbitrary. So, yeah, it just it happened to work out well for a year. I was sort of originally planning to come back around the six-month mark, but then for a variety of reasons, I decided to stay away a little bit longer. But, yeah, so all in all, it was a year without Reddit and posting on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff from start to finish. So what... Did you learn or achieve? <laughs> See, and like because you've started again, so like it's almost films like this sort of thing you do, this self-flagellation. Yeah, you. I'm use... going to fast for you... <laughs> a year and then just continue like it didn't happen. So tell me something, enlighten me. No, but see, this is this is the problem, Brady. You don't come back with enlightenment. Wherever you go, you are there, and. I know, like, oh, I did this project for a year and I'm supposed to come back with like, oh, 
let me tell you how how mindful and attentive I am. It just doesn't work like that. Why did you stop then? Why did you come back? I need to know either why you did it or why you stopped. Look, Brady, the tides come in and the tides go out. Who can explain that? No one. (laughs) These are just the cycles of life. Graze on the internet and then graze off the internet. The thing that's interesting about having done it for a year is it's a long enough period of time that I, I have that feeling that I always have quite strongly of you don't owe your past self anything and you're a different person as time goes on. And so I think this project ended up being so long that a lot of the original reasons why past Gray wanted to do it, I feel sort of disconnected from at this point in time as as future Gray. And I'll just say like a year is obviously a long time, but I do think it's good for everyone to do their little mini versions of taking a break from the internet. And lots of people do this now. It's become almost like a cliche. People are like, oh, I'm going to take a break from the internet. Hmm. I do think it's good. I think the comparison to doing a food fast is actually quite apt here, where I tried doing a food fast for the first time, I don't know, maybe like two or three years ago. And it's not something that you do all the time because you die. But it's, it's useful to do every once in a while because it sort of changes your relationship to food in a way that's a little bit difficult to describe. And I think it's the same thing with many things in life. Like the internet might just be one of those things. Like it's good to take a little break. Yeah. It sort of changes how you think about things. And it's not always easy to articulate those reasons. You know, like I had, I had some specifics that I wanted to do. Like I definitely wanted to read more. And that is a thing that I have achieved. Like, I read more books now than I did before when I started. But I think I have a a hard-to-articulate different way of thinking about what do I want my interactions with the internet to be like. And, you know, this stuff isn't permanent. You know, the tide comes in and the tide goes out, and maybe in a year I'll decide, oh, I'll take another break for a month and then come back. Like, who knows? Did you miss it? I did in the beginning, I would say that the reason why I could imagine it having lasted indefinitely is there was some point where I sort of didn't think about it very much anymore. There were a couple of things I missed. The primary one is is an, an internet-y sense of humor. Like, you just don't get that in regular life very much. Hmm. And then the other thing I can say, and this is like the upside of social media, is... I was aware of being disconnected about what people in my life are up to. Hmm. As you might know, Brady, I'm not a very good texter or phone caller to say, hey, yes, what you up to? Yeah. How's that trip in America going? Right? Yeah. Like I'm I'm terrible about that. It's hmm. just not in my nature. I was aware that this is like This is the good thing that social media can provide in the correct amount of dosage. It's just like, oh, I see what Brady's up to on his trip. Isn't isn't that nice? And maybe I can send you a little comment about it. Hmm. It's very different from having to like pull information from people who you just want to be aware of like, what are they up to? But you don't want to harass them with text messages. I did miss those things and sort of appreciate the place that they serve in life. The other main thing is just also, I think people lie to themselves about how much they need social media for their job. Like anybody who does a creative thing on the internet, 
you know, people will always say like, oh, it's you, you have to have a social media presence. It's absolutely necessary. I don't think it is necessary. I don't think you need it, but it can be helpful sometimes. And so this thing about getting locked out of Google sure was good timing for, oh boy, Twitter can be really useful where you have a problem and you want to try to kick up a fuss about it. Like this is a, a useful time for a tool like Twitter. Is there any part of it, I'm especially saying this because you came back after exactly a year, is there any part of it that was performative and like being a bit playful and adding to the mystery and interest by disappearing for exactly a year and then is he coming back? When's he coming back? Like creating a buzz. I mean, I don't think that's a very good way to create a buzz if that's what you're trying to do. I'd be shocked if you said, yes, Brady, that's why I did it, but I'm just putting it out there. No, no, no. Like there can be usefulness in difference. And so I think part of it was just like, oh, if I'm going to do this, maybe just do it for a really long time. That most people who take breaks from the internet, like they'll take a break for a week or they'll take a break for a month. Yeah. Let me do this for a really long time and yeah. see if that makes any difference. I've just always thought like you as, as a creator has always seemed to have seen value in rationing yourself out. And this seems like a version of that. It's like, you know... <laughs> There's even more interest in what you are going to tweet now because you stopped tweeting for a year. I mean, I think it seems very clever. I don't know. I'm going to disagree with that. This does yeah. sort of tie in a little bit to the the movie that we did for homework later, but I, I might as well mention it now. Is it's it's not a value in like rationing out for anybody who's a person who creates things in the public sphere. You have to try to make decisions about how much of yourself are you giving over to the audience? Like, where are you drawing these lines? There's this thing that is difficult to talk about, like the relationship that the like the creator has with the audience. And there's also the thing of where you want to draw the line is not necessarily where the audience wants the line to be drawn. Yes. And the like the audience will always want more than you're willing to give. So I don't, I don't feel like I'm rationing out myself in this strategic way of like, mm. oh, it makes what I say so much more valuable. It's not that at all. It's just that, as we have discussed many times in the podcast, I, like, I am a person who sort of ended up in this position of being a public person. And I've never been comfortable with it. And one of the things I didn't really want to talk about, but that was an additional reason for doing Project Cyclops, I felt like this line was being encroached upon mm. of like, yes, I talk about my life on the podcast, but it doesn't mean that the whole of my life is like for you to consume as entertainment. And mm. so part of Project Cyclops was also wanting to like pull back a little bit in this way. So that's part of what it is. Yeah. Like, this is always these strange moments. Like, you and I, Brady, we're having a conversation. Mm. But as always, the audience is listening. Mm. And to talk about the audience gets into this very strange thing. And especially because it's not a single consistent group of people. It's just this very strange world that we live in with 
creators and access and the audience. And I felt like there was some balance that was a little bit off. And so I also wanted to just pull back a bunch. And so that was that was one of the things that I was doing as well. Like the obvious way to like conclude the thing would be to say, well, it's nice to have you back, Gray. But hearing all the things you said, not entirely sure why you are back. <laughs> but anyway, I sometimes find your tweets entertaining. So uh, I'm glad there'll be a few of them in the coming weeks. I don't know how much I'm going to be tweeting necessarily. It's always just readjustment. Like it's this important thing in life that you you should never think of yourself as this static, unchanging thing. You should be constantly like reassessing, oh, is this the situation that you want? Does this thing work in this way? And so, yeah, you just like, everyone should do that. You should always reevaluate. What's your situation? How do you want to make it better? What do you like? What do you not like? And try stuff out and see what works and see what doesn't work. You've got a lot of Hello Internet subreddits to catch up on. No, I'm not catching up on anything. Do you know what this is? This is like day zero on the internet. Uh, we're starting over and we're starting fresh. Although I did make one exception, which was I went back to see all that sparkling water feedback. You've, you've reintroduced me to my love of sparkling water. <laughs> and I've got one in my hand right now. I'm going to have a sip right now. Oh, yeah? Are you enjoying the bubbles, Brady? <laughs> Yep, I love them. <laughs> it's all about the bubbles. I was amazed how many people agreed with me and said it was just about the niceness of the bubbles. Yeah. When we recorded that episode, I knew that I was going to be back on the internet before we recorded the next one. That's why I was like, tell me about the sparkling water. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read all of this. And I do have to say, it seemed like absolutely everybody was on your side that it is the bubbles that make sparkling water so addictive to drink. I have to say... I find that somehow really deeply unsatisfying as an answer. I was disappointed that I didn't mention carbonic acid too. I think that does play a role in giving it a little bit of extra tang, the carbon dioxide and water, making it weakly carbonic acid. Right, right. So, so yeah, this, this was also the feedback. We had like chemists weighing in here about how it's, mi yeah. it's mildly acidic. And ev everyone says this gives it like a tang or a sour taste. Or not sour, uh, bitter. Bitter was the word people were using. Right. I can't taste it. It tastes like water, but with bubbles. I think it has got a certain, I wouldn't say bitter, a certain zest. <laughs> a certain zest. Yeah, it's just got a certain something that you wouldn't call a flavor, but it's got a certain spikiness to it. <laughs> okay. That normal water doesn't have. Yeah, I think that's the bubbles. I'm not sure that that's a taste. Although maybe I would love to do like a blind taste test because also I didn't realize from the comments, how many different kinds of sparkling water there are. In my head, it was all mm. just sort of mushed together in one category. Mm. And it's like, oh, no, no, there's four different kinds of sparkling water. I was impressed by the number of soft drink experts there are who listen to Halloween today. <laughs> <laughs> Including like people that do it for a job. Like, oh, hi, I make, I develop soft drinks for a living. <laughs> if you would like me to send you a 19-page email on it, let me know. Yeah, yeah. So, look. I understand that everybody's telling me that the bubbles are what makes it addictive, but there's some part of my brain that just cannot let this go. I was like, it can't, it can't possibly just beat the bubbles. However, the only other thing that I was holding on to was this idea that there was somehow too much salt in the water that was making me drink it all the time. And I feel like I had been thoroughly disabused of this notion. Yeah, that never held water for me. Well, there's two things here. Someone pointed to a Daily Mail article from five years ago that seems to have been the start of this. 
like, oh, here's the first reference of people talking about there's there's like 11 times as much salt in the water or whatever. Daddy Mayo. Are they not a paper of record? I still don't know what the papers of records are. You have to tell me one of these days. It's not for me to say what the paper of record is, but I will say that it's not that. God, damn, it drives me crazy, Brady, when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to read the papers of record, but I can't tell you what they are. They're secret. <laughs> so there was that. But the thing that really clenched it for me was someone left a big comment about how they were talking about the like rehydration solutions used in hospitals and the mm. like the amount of water and salt that is in your blood and like what the ratio should be and this is like okay this totally sold me on this that the amount of salt in the water is trivial it's just like helping maintain homeostasis in your body so that leaves me with nothing right because now it's okay we have a bottle it is filled with three things water molecules a tiny bit of salt that's totally fine and bubbles. What makes this container so addictive to drink? It has to be the bubbles. Hello, Internet. It's time you get some HelloFresh into your life. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Get easy, seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality, regardless of your comfort level in the kitchen. Inside each box, you get step-by-step -step recipes with pre-measured ingredients, making it very simple to go from box of ingredients to delicious meal in just about 30 minutes. And I can 100% vouch for how delicious those meals are. And you know how awful it is to just be eating the same thing or going out to restaurants where all of the food tastes the same? HelloFresh will help you break out of your dinner rut. They have 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. And you never have to go outside to the supermarket. Want more? No problem. You can add extra meals to your weekly order, as well as add-ons like garlic bread and cookie dough. Or you can change your delivery days and food preferences, or skip a week whenever you need. They're very flexible. I can tell you, the meals are delicious, and the number of people who describe HelloFresh as literally life-changing is very high. If you haven't started with them, you should now. Go to HelloFresh.com slash HelloInternet80, that's HelloInternet and the number 80, and enter offer code HelloInternet80. This will get you $80 off your first month of HelloFresh. It's like receiving eight meals for free. Once again, that's HelloFresh.com slash HelloInternet80 and enter promo code HelloInternet80. Give HelloFresh a try. Get delicious food delivered to your door. It might just change your life. Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting the show, and thanks to HelloFresh for feeding so many people. Can I talk to you about straws again? I know I'm banging on about this too much, and I'm even annoying myself, and I'm certainly annoying my wife. I mean, Brady, when I was reading the Reddit, I did have to scroll past all of the straw comments to get to <sighs> the few sparkling water comments that I wanted to get to. I know this is a subject that incites passion <sighs> and all the environmental stuff, right? Okay, yes. But I, I want to come back again to the fact that paper straws are not an adequate solution. <laughs> and okay. I've recently been in California, which I'll talk about, but California has gone paper straw crazy too. Right. And I didn't realize just how big a problem this was until- I ordered a, like an expensive cocktail, like a Long Island iced tea. I decided I wanted to have a you know something a bit fancy, mm -hmm. and spent a lot of money on it. And they bring it out, 
and just drinking it through a paper straw, taking away the fact that the straw like disintegrates eventually and you can't drink it properly. Right. Taking that away, just the feeling of drinking a posh, expensive drink through a paper straw, I think takes 30% off the value. Are you saying that you want a 30% discount? On all of your drinks, if they're going to bring out a paper straw. It's just wrong. I was talking to the barman about it, and he was like, (laughs) what can I do? But do you know what happened? Uh I went to Europe this week, and I went to a McDonald's and ordered a Diet Coke. And good old Europe, you can always depend on to be a bit behind with some of these things. Mm -hmm. And it had a plastic straw, and I drank the Diet Coke through this plastic straw. And, oh, my God, it was amazing. It was like... It felt amazing. It felt so lovely. It was like this is this is the way it's supposed to be. It just felt colder, and the liquid was moving faster, and it was just the right flow. I think maybe it was nostalgia. It was like, oh, this is what a cold soft drink's supposed to taste like. It was so much better. It was so much better, and that made me think about another thing. Okay, moving away from the straw issue. I know this battle is over, and we're stuck with paper straws, even though lots of people don't like them right i think it's really sad the way that humans have turned on plastic like this friend of ours that has done so much for us for so long like i feel sorry for plastic it's like this innocent thing that got created and we all Mm -hmm. loved it and we all used it and now we hate it and we talk terribly about it and i like i think you know plastic's amazing what plastic's done like if we're going to get rid of it, we're going to get rid of it. But let's at least take a few seconds to think about the good side of plastic. It's funny you mention that because I was just having a conversation with someone and the, the topic of technological innovation came up. And there's an argument that I've heard and I've, I've even used myself sometimes about like how different does the world 50 or 100 years ago look from the world now? And you can say like once you get to the 19... 19- 50s, it's like, well, the world kind of looks the same if you just ignore computers and phones as the two main things. Hmm. There's not like a whole world of change in the same way that from 1850 to 1950, like everything that's in the house is new and different and amazing. This sort of came up as a topic of conversation. And the counterpoint was plastic, which I'd never really thought about. But it really made me realize, oh, this material is incredibly useful and is everywhere. Like the, you're, the reason that you're thinking that a house from 1950 just doesn't look all that different is because you're not perceiving the actual materials that things are made out of. And the reason we use plastic is because it is cheap, it's durable, it's strong when it when you need it to be, but it's also flexible. And even just thinking of the number of medical instruments that use plastic, like breathing tubes and like and all sorts of things. So I thought it was a, it was a really good counterpoint to how much has the world changed. And one of those things is well there's plastic everywhere because it's an incredibly useful material that has properties you couldn't possibly replicate if you had to make things out of metal or wood or dare we say it paper. So yeah, I'm on board with like plastic, we don't want it as garbage in the environment but just from a from an actual material perspective it's it's very useful poor plastic it's a bit like an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that you look back on who you were like completely enamored with and then you know you move on 
and you weren't the right match mm-hmm. and you meet new people. But you shouldn't look back at those exes and say they were terrible. Right. You know, they were right for the time. And, yeah. you know, well, obviously plastic has its drawbacks. And, you know, I love penguins more than I love plastic. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we should look back at that old girlfriend or boyfriend and say <laughs> they're terrible. Yeah. They're good. Brady, quote, pro-plastic. Right, that's, that's Brady's stance. I just, if you want to I just simplify it's amazing how we turned on. I mean, I know we turn on stuff when we start realizing, you know, there was a time when everyone loved cigarettes, but mm. I, I wouldn't put plastic in the same category as cigarettes. <laughs> you know, you can go to museums and they'll have look. Here's the first sample of plastic. This amazing thing that changed the world. Isn't it amazing that scientists invented it? Now it's talked about like it's the, the worst thing ever. Like it's a bit sad. Anyway, I, I know I'm, plastic doesn't care, does it? It, it hasn't got a brain. No, but. plastic doesn't care, Brady. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure if it did care, it would be happy to know that you're a friend of plastic. Tell you what, this plastic straw is still so much better than paper. God, that Coke was good. I was very thirsty. Maybe that – it wasn't a completely controlled experiment. But I <laughs> oh, swear, really shocking. <laughs> I swear that was the best Coke that I've had in a year. It was amazing. Thanks to plastic. Thanks to plastic and the bubbles, of course. A little bit of plane news. Okay. It's not plane crash corner. There are no crashes here. It's just a plane corner. Mm. But there's, a, there's been a few stories and debates and things going on that I wanted to quickly run by you. I won't okay. get too caught up in them. The first one is an article I just read moments ago about Japan Airlines that I think you'll find interesting. If you click on that link that I put in the notes, Gray. Japan Airline seat map helps avoid screaming babies. Yep. I would like to know more. So when you go and like click on those maps to choose your seats, if you scroll down, you'll see an example. They have a little icon to show you which seats are available and which ones are taken. And if the people who've booked the seats have young children, they have this little baby face icon that goes on the seats. So you can strategically pick where to sit based on where young children are going to be on your flight. That's amazing. (laughs) Because I'm always um, looking, oh, where's the toilet? Where's the galley? And I will always avoid the bulkheads because I know that's where they put the fold-down tables for babies. Hmm. But this is new information. This is amazing. Okay. It is It is interesting and it's good. I'll take it over nothing. But what I really want is people with children have to pick their seats first or it all has to be locked in so that you know because there, there is a way in which this could almost be more frustrating because you you know when you step on a plane we're all playing the baby lottery please don't let this baby be near me as the joke goes that's why they let parents with children board first so they don't have to deal with everybody staring at them and thinking simultaneously please don't sit next to me when they walk down the aisle <laughs> which is 100 percent what i'm thinking when i look at Literally everybody walking down the aisle. Please, none of you sit next to me. But with this, it almost feels like it would instill false confidence. Like, oh, I've avoided the babies. You know, but there's still free seats. There still could be babies. I like it. I think it's an improvement. Ultimately, what we all want is for the babies to have to sit in the back or in the front like it's a smoking section. But I think this is probably an improvement overall. Let me give you a hypothetical situation, Gray. Okay. Because you talked about how you look at everyone and hope they won't sit next to you. Yeah. You're sitting on a plane. You're about to go on like a transatlantic flight. So it's going to be a long flight. You've got one seat next to you. You know the plane is completely booked out. So that seat's going to be taken. Right. 
people are walking on, you know, walking on the plane. You can't help but notice Tim Cook gets on the plane and starts walking down the aisle. Would you hope that he would be the one who would sit next to you? Yeah, he seems like he'd be really quiet on a flight. Like, I think he's he's 100% a, a minds his own business on a plane kind of guy. For yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. How, well, who would even say no to that? I don't understand. He, he looks like a very good flight citizen. I was thinking more you could ask him, like, about Apple stuff, but yeah, all right. No, of course not. <laughs> here's, the other, here's the other bonus with Tim Cook. You know he's not going to start up a conversation with anybody. <laughs> he doesn't right? want to talk to you. Yeah. Like he's, he's, Especially when he sees you with Apple products falling out of every pocket on your body. Yeah. He sits next to me. I've got the <laughs> Apple Watch on. There's an iPad in the in the seat in front of me. I've got my laptop open. Yeah. He's, he's like, oh, no, this guy. I better not speak a single word lest he recognize my voice, which is also my strategy on planes. We would pass the entire flight without uttering a single word. If you were sitting on a plane in that circumstance and someone had to sit next to you, what person in the world who is alive would you most want to sit next to you, not including family members? In fact, not including people you know personally. Like what person who you've never met but is alive would you want to sit there? I disagree with this whole hypothetical. Like I want the quietest person to sit next to me. But it has to be someone whose name you know for this game to work. I'm trying to think if I know any mutes. Like are there (laughs) any famous mutes that I can think of? (laughs) Like the, the the question behind your question, Brady, is who do you want to talk to on a plane? Like that's clearly the question that you're asking. Talk to or or have just like the anecdote that I sat next to X on a plane. But that's not a like that's not an interesting anecdote. People tell those anecdotes like, oh, I, I sat next to famous person in situation X, and I I never know how I'm supposed to respond. Like congratulations or like what happened? What was what were they like? What'd you talk about? Tell me something I don't know. I don't like this question. I don't like the premise of this question. But why don't you tell me your answer to this question? Right? Oh. Because you're so friendly and everybody likes you and you can chat up a storm. So who is the person that you're going to have like a wonderful transatlantic flight with if you can arrange this situation? Well, I mean, I should go for a moonwalker. Of course. I guess Buzz Aldrin because he is he's Apollo 11. Right. Although I'm not sure... He's a bit loopy, old Buzz. Surely that would make for a more interesting interview, though. Well, not an interview, but yeah, like good chat. You know, mm-hmm. I'd ask him if he got a couple of drinks and started telling me the good stories and all the goss. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> someone right. like that. He starts telling you it wasn't real. <laughs> like the Pope would be a good one. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? You're not going to believe who I sat next to on my flight. Who? The Pope. Oh my God, he was such a laugh. Yeah. Somehow, I don't think the Pope is flying <laughs> commercial. I think when you're when you're in charge of the Vatican, I think the entirety of the Catholic Church can afford a private plane for the Pope. But I, I'll mm-hmm. take it in the hypothetical that it is. Would you strike up a conversation with the Pope? The Pope is sitting there wearing yeah. his Pope hat. Would you be like, uh, hey, I think I know who you are and give him yeah, a charming you look wink. familiar. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to talk to him. Right. Okay. He studied chemistry. I'd tell him about periodic videos. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you want to mention it in one of your sermons. <laughs> yeah, could you give us a retweet? <laughs> that would be a pretty good get as far as a Twitter retweet goes. That would that'd be a pretty good one. Anyway, speaking of planes, I've got more plane stuff to talk about. Okay. Gray, I know you, you do travel to the Netherlands a bit. I don't know if you ever travel on KLM. Yes, I do. The KLM pre-flight video. Okay. Before you poo-poo it, shoot it down. Okay. The KLM pre-flight video is a novelty video, novelty safety video, 
that I think is good. Okay. It's well done. It's interesting, but it also meets the other criteria that a pre-flight video should meet. And I'm going to give it thumbs up. Like nothing is popping into my head, but I think it's because whenever I fly KLM, it's these tiny little hops between London and Amsterdam. They don't even have like video seats in the back. So I've never taken them on a long flight. They're only these little teeny tiny flights. Okay. So I've never, I've never seen a KLM video. And I also have an irrational fondness of KLM as an airline from my memories of like a child traveling over for family in, in the Netherlands. So yeah, like they're blue. I'm very aware of as one of these little branding things that totally got in my head of like, oh yeah, the KLM blue. I really like it. The pilots let me in the cockpit. You know, it's like that kind of stuff from being well, a kid. I have put a link to the video in the show notes. Do you okay. want to watch it or do you want me to talk you through it? Or would you want to watch it and just see what you think? Let me watch it. Can you wait? I can I'll watch wait. it. I've got my sparkling water. Okay, great. I'm going to watch it right now. All right. All the way to the end. Okay. I've watched the video. I'm going to give this safety video two thumbs up. What could I even possibly complain about in this safety video? And yet, clever and novel and unique. Yes. So for the listeners, it opens in a Delft tile, uh, I don't know, production facility in, in yeah. the Netherlands. Like the... You know what it is. It's that very particular blue that is used in, I think, ceramics and pottery in the Netherlands. Those famous blue and white, yeah, ceramics that you associate with Holland. Yeah. You've got like a flight attendant, don't you, standing there next to some man who's painting one of the tiles and she introduces the safety video that's about to start. Yeah. And, and then you notice that the painter is actually painting the flight attendant onto the tile. Yes. Also, the reason why I can give this two thumbs up is- Flight attendant doesn't really draw attention to the guy who's painting it. She's just giving the safety spiel. And yeah. the camera zooms in then onto the tile on the table that has yeah. the drawing of the flight attendant on it. And then it proceeds as a very straightforward safety video. Animated on, on a white tile. Yes. You've got this blue animation of, yeah, just a basic safety video. This is how you do the seatbelts. This is where everything is. But the tile's always just slightly moving and the picture's a little bit inconsistent, which has you wondering all the way through the video. Have they just done the lazy option and got like a, you know, a picture of a tile and done a blue animation mm -hmm. on it and made it look a bit painted? Or have they dared to do what you think maybe they've done that you don't find out until the end that they did it? They actually made each of these tiles as a frame of the animation. Like painted them and fired them and, you know made real tiles for each frame of the animation in the kilns. An enormous amount of labor and effort. And I think yeah. that is also why they don't have a lot of time for jokes. Because guess what? We have to make a tile for each one of these things. <laughs> yeah. And every, every second that we're going to spend explaining something is 30 tiles that we need to make. So yeah. I think that contributes to the goodness of the video. That it's just, it's straightforward. Here's an explanation. Here's all the things that you need. And what I also like, very understated at the end. At the end, when they, they zoom back out to the actual flight attendant, she doesn't go, oh my God, can you believe we animated every one of these tiles yeah. and then laid them down? Like, can you believe that? Look at that. Look at us. She goes, no, no, no. Just at KLM, right? We care about 
every little detail. And you just see her sort of point to the tiles and the camera zooms up and you see a bunch of tiles. It's like, what a great way to not be like, look how cool we are making all the tiles. So yeah. Total class. Two thumbs up. Great safety video. This I'm going to hold up as the blue standard for what <laughs> safety videos should be. This was great. And I was a little worried you were going to show me something that would make me then have a bad association with KLM. But now my my like thinking that KLM is a great airline is is just continuing onward. Like yeah. very well done to whoever came up with this concept and, and execution for the safety video. You know, at the end of the flight, they gave us little Delph pottery things as well as little gifts at the end of the flight. Oh, I didn't realize you saw this on an actual KLM flight. Yeah. So what did what did you get as a gift? It's like a little house, like a little model house hmm. that's uh, done in the Delph style. I'm reading like the press kit about it, and I'm just trying to find the number of tiles they made as a result of it. Uh, in the description, it says over 1,000 hand-painted tiles. Okay. So the tile guy was given all the frames by the animator and had to to hand paint them, so. I wonder if they slightly cheated and went with like 12 frames a second instead of 24 or 30. Definitely. <laughs> I think there was definitely some cheating involved. Yeah, I'm looking at the animation. I'm going to guess that's 12 frames a second animation. But, you know, great. Still a tremendous amount of work. <laughs> One last thing I want to talk about on planes. There was a whole Twitter thread I read about this that went viral a couple of weeks ago. And I won't, I won't rehash everything in it. You could guess most of it, but I'm just wondering what your position on this is. Mm -hmm. And this is the etiquette and social norms and pressures put on people on a plane who have the window seat mm -hmm. and what they should do with the window shades. Because mm. some people think they should all be down and you need to create this dark tomb so everyone can sleep. And other people are like, hey, you know, I've got a window seat. I'm having this incredible experience of flying over incredible things from a vantage point I'll never get to see. I'd like to look out the window. Some people feel safer and prefer to look out the window. But there's, sometimes there can be a real pressure. Sometimes even the attendants will make you close your window shade. And I know there are different arguments to be made here, and there are different arguments to be made when it's a, a long-haul flight mm. as opposed to a two- or three-hour jump. Where do you stand on window shades open or closed for the good of the many? I was going to say, is this a problem? I feel like this is one of the rare things on a plane that I've never come across as being an issue. Oh, no, it can be a problem because some people think they should all be closed to create this dark atmosphere so everyone can sleep, mm -hmm. even though you're flying through daylight. But there might be one person who's like, no, there's a mountain range down there. I want to watch it you know, go by and they'll have their shade open. And it only takes one or two shades open to take away that dark environment on a plane. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the flight attendants will say, Sir, please, can you shut that to keep the plane dark? And other people say, how, how dare you? <laughs> There's a real like uh, peer pressure to have it shut. And some people think it shouldn't be. Well, I'll say from knowing someone who's an insider in the industry, flight attendants will want you to shut those windows if most people are sleeping because that makes everything much easier if you have a sleepy cabin full of people. This was something that came up. <laughs> the flight attendant's favorite because if everyone's asleep, they don't have to work. They're not an entirely disinterested group of overseers here. No. It's a little bit like there's a <laughs> there's a scene in The Wire about the schools turning up the temperatures to make the students sleepy, which I can also confirm is 100% a real thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, if it's slightly warm... Kids, they're much less hassle than if it's a than if it's a perfect temperature. But I don't know. I, f I feel like I've I've taken a lot of flights, and I don't think I've ever been on a flight where whatever is the obvious 
group consensus for what needs to be happening now doesn't happen. Or it's like, oh, the plane turns off all the lights. It's a long haul overnight flight. All those windows go down. And if it's just a regular day flight, some people have the windows open and some people don't. I don't think I've ever run into a situation where you're having like a tragedy of the commons with regards to windows here. But I haven't seen like, you know, fights break out, <laughs> but I have seen people wanting it one way and having to go the other. Well, I mean, my adjudication here would be, one, it's not your window. You're just sitting next to a window. Two, the flight attendants have control over those windows being up or down. Like, they get to make the call about what the situation is with the window shades. Well, hang on a second. You've just pointed out that they've got skin in the game. Yeah, 100% they have skin in the game. But look, somebody needs to be the authority figure here. You're the customer. Look, Brady, customer is not always right. So, yeah, I'm delegating all of the power to the flight attendants here. They can make the call about window shades. And, and they, anyway, I don't even need to make this call because it's they already have that legal thing of like, oh, you're breaking some kind of federal crime if you if you disobey uh, flight attendants' instructions. So yeah, they can already tell you close that window or uh, or you're going to prison when this plane lands. So I'm going to send you this Twitter thread later because it's actually really interesting. It started with someone saying, "I thought I was the only one who hated the new norm." usually enforced through social dynamics, not crew instructions, where you're supposed to close all the shades so you can't see scenery and flights. Mm -hmm. It kicked off. There's all sorts of interesting stuff about how highly reflective clouds make it bad to have windows open. And some people say, hey, if you've got the window seat, it's your call. That's part of the bonus of having a window seat. Some people say they get scared flying in a plane when the windows are shut. They have real phobia issues. Well, there's all sorts of all sorts of interesting uh, arguments and discussion about it. No, it's very very clear. Flight attendants they get to make the call. What if they don't make a call? What if they sit it out? I mean, then I guess it will devolve into fistfights on the plane. That's what's <laughs> going to happen. Uh, you can't you can't pass over that kind of power to the crowd. That's not going to work. But the situation where this really would be bad is it's a nighttime flight and one person has the window open. You mean it's a daytime flight, but you want to make it? Yeah. I just realized I don't know how the airlines make this decision. But when I'm flying back to London, I think they make the call of this is a nighttime flight, even if it doesn't strictly make sense from the time that you're taking off in California or whatever. So the plane is in the air. It's still sunny out and you're doing a long haul flight, but the cabin crew has turned off the lights on the plane. And they're serving breakfast at the end. And they're serving breakfast at the end. And then if one person opens the window... Because you're above the clouds, it is like you are flying across the surface of the sun. Like the light that comes through <laughs> that single window is so incredibly bright yeah. that I think it just totally overrides that one person's desire to see outside. So, yeah. I have been known to nudge it up a few millimeters just so I can get an iPhone camera there to take a few pictures. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Yes. You have been known to do that, Brady. <laughs> yeah. I love all those views you get sometimes flying right. over. You're sitting next to the Pope who's trying to catch 40 winks, and you think you're cleverly inching up the window by just a couple <laughs> millimeters. Oh, he won't notice, but he notices Brady. He'd probably derive great meaning from the sudden shaft of holy light, like, blasting through the cabin. Yes, that's right. You're doing everyone yeah. a favor. This episode has been supported by Hover. And today I want to give you a use case that I think every Tim should be thinking about. So hear me out on this one. Now you all know Hover by now. It's the best way to buy and manage domain names bar none. 
Gray and I both use them. We've told you plenty of times why they're the smoothest and easiest way to do all this domain stuff. Now, anyone in business or online or in some kind of creative field, I think by now it's probably super obvious why you should have a few domain names registered. I don't think we need to go into that again. But what about you, humble Tim? What possible need could you have for a domain name? There are a few answers to that question, but today I want to give you one example. I think you should at least be considering registering your name as a domain. Down the track, you never know what you might be up to, why you might want some kind of web page or presence or something that links to you. And you might end up kicking yourself if you missed out on registering it. So say your name's Tim Purple Grape. Why not register timpurplegrape.com or timpurplegrape.net? One or two of the key ones. Now you don't necessarily have to link it to anything at the moment. You could just sit on it for a rainy day. But for what it's worth, when you're using Hover, it is super easy to link domains to anything. You could link it to your Twitter page, your Facebook page, your Instagram profile, whatever else. So anyone entering timpurplegrape.com will land exactly where you want them to. I know it's not for everyone, but you should be thinking about it. I have a lot of friends who don't have websites, but have registered their name just in case. And as usual, Hello Internet listeners will get 10% off their first purchase by going to hover.com slash hi. Again, I can't stress enough what a smooth and easy service Hover is. It's really great. Hover.com slash hi. Just go and have a look, have a little nose around, see how easy it is. I think you might be sold on it. And our thanks to them for supporting this episode. Look, I know we're going to talk shortly about Ingrid Goes West, this film. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about Brady Goes West first? Oh, I want to know about Brady Going West. I've just had a big Western holiday and I just wanted to run you through a few key Hello Internet points. Yeah. So I've just been... I have no idea where you've been. So where have you gone? Uh, the West Coast. So I was Vancouver, British Columbia, then down into California, Yosemite, and then down to LA. Mm -hmm. And just a few things I thought worthy of mention for you. Firstly, I went to Yosemite mm -hmm. National Park. And I had mentioned previously on the show that I was planning to go there. And a few teams got in touch and said, you know, I live near there. Or I know a lot about it. And one of them in particular sent me an email that caught my eye and I ended up getting in touch with him. And he ended up being like our tour guide at Yosemite, like <laughs> came and met us and stuff. And I tell you what, it's fantastic because he grew up in Yosemite. He was, his father was like a ranger and he was a ranger himself there. And he like grew up as a little boy in the park, you know, like a cabin. Hmm. And he owns a cabin in the park still. So he had like special access permits and he knew the place like the back of his hand and he knew all the little secret places to park. And we avoided like sometimes when there'd be like a huge queue of cars, he'd be like, it's okay, I know something. And he'd do like some secret move and park somewhere. And then all the rangers there knew him, knew everything about the park. He was the ultimate Yosemite tour guide. And he did it all for the very, very small payment of one hot stopper. I don't know if I should have given him more actually come to think of it, but that's all I gave him. But he was great. I won't name him because he's a private guy, uh -huh. but like he knows who he is and, and thank you to him. And I hope he enjoys his hot stopper. <laughs> Presented at the base of El Capitan. Right. I feel like you got a pretty good deal there, Brady. I did. It was amazing. So thank you, Tim. <laughs> that was amazing, Timage. How would you rate Yosemite on the National Park scale? 
I had been there before, but only very briefly. It was nothing mm. like I remember it. I haven't been to enough American national parks to rate it in that way. Hmm. I'm a bit obsessed with El Capitan, though, because I'd gotten into like the recent movies about it, Dawn Wall and oh, uh, Free Solo. Right, right, yes. So I was all about El Capitan, which was great because our special guide like knew like the little places to go and took us to the base and we stood at the base and he could say there's the line where that happened and like could point everything out and knew it all so are you going to give summiting el capitan a, a go i mean you've been to the top of everest <laughs> this is not as high yeah i haven't been to the top of everest and i won't be <laughs> climbing el capitan up the hard way that's for okay sure. okay i'm up you can walk up some paths to the back but... no that's not what i'm talking about brady yeah. you know no I, w- I want a selfie from brady in one of those little sleeping mats that gets hammered into the side of a sheer yeah. rock face. That's what I want. I think you should give that a go. Have you seen Free Solo? I can't remember if I saw that one, but I've seen a couple of these. I know there seems to have been a, a, a few of these documentaries that have come yeah. out. And yeah. I've, I've watched some of them, and they're very interesting and terrifying. And standing at the very bottom looking up, it is crazy that a guy did that without ropes. That's absolutely terrifying. Awesome, though. <laughs> Great film, Free Solo, as is the Dormore. They're both amazing. I watch them each night when we're at the park as well overnight just to like get in the mood. You know, I, like, I want to be psyched for seeing the Dawn Wall. Let me, let me rewatch the movie. <laughs> One thing I did think at numerous times on this holiday though, and I don't want to sound like uncharitable. <laughs> uh, here, here it comes, yes. I feel like in life, okay. sometimes in life I take photos for strangers when they ask me to. Okay. Sometimes strangers take photos for me when I ask them to. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is not a fair deal. And I do an amazing job taking photos for strangers. If someone says, can you take a picture for me? I'll take 20. I'll take portrait ones and landscape ones. I will move around. I will give them instructions. I will give them a full selection. I will think carefully about composition. I really make a huge effort because I want them to later on look back and go, do you know what the best picture from our holiday was? It was that one that crazy Australian guy took. I feel like when other people take pictures for me, they just don't care and they let me down every time. They don't take the picture as they should. They are rubbish at it. People are rubbish at taking photos. Rubbish. I feel ripped off because, you know, I'll take my own pictures, but occasionally sometimes you need someone else to do it for you, don't you? Brady, can I just ask for clarification here? Yeah. So you are disappointed that you... Brady Heron, professional video journalists are better at photography than Joe Average citizen on the street. <laughs> like you do know that images are your living. It's your profession. This is what you do is like framing things and making stuff look good. Of course you're going to be better than the random person you bump into at Yosemite taking pictures of you. Look, like, yes, what you say is factually true. <laughs> And mildly flattering. Yeah, <laughs> right. so uh, fair enough. But I just think people just don't care. And everyone's a photographer these days. Everyone's got their phone. And I bet you if they were taking it for themselves or they were taking their own selfie for Instagram, they'd spend plenty of time getting it just right. I think taking photos for strangers is like an honour. Mm-hmm. And I take it really seriously. Like if I'm with my wife and someone comes up and says, can you take a picture? And they hand the camera to my wife. She will always say, oh, no, you should let my husband do it. He really likes this. <laughs> and passes it to me because she knows like, I take right. it seriously. This is one of the great yeah. services we do for our fellow humans these days. I will agree with you that 
the moment of taking a photo for someone else feels like a tiny drop of glue that helps keep civilization together. Of yeah. we're we're all going to participate in this reciprocal game. So yeah, I'm on board with you here. And I'm in the the reverse situation of when my wife and I are traveling and someone asks us to take a picture, I immediately hand the phone to my wife. But with a little caveat to the people of like, are you sure? Because she's going to be very serious about this being the best photo. She's next level your wife when it comes to taking yeah. photos. For it, it's like, you're going to love it, but I hope you have a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. You just get out the deck chair and have a rest. I open up a book on my phone and it's like, yeah. well, uh, yeah, let me find a place to sit down. The other thing I have to do, though, and you have to find subtle ways to do it, is to give instructions to the other people. Because you know what they're going to get wrong. What are they going to get wrong? Maybe you should turn the camera vertical so that you'll get the top of the mountain. Make sure you haven't chopped the tail of the plane off that picture, yeah? <laughs> like, how do you say these things without sounding like too much of a douche? <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's no way around it. But this is another example to me of Brady has very high expectations for people. <laughs> and Gray has very low expectations for people. And my threshold for surprise is just when someone will take a photo as though this is the literal word. Like, can you take a photo and they'll go, yeah, click and hand it right back to you. And it's a little bit like, are you for real? <laughs> She's like, you know, we're not paying for these by the photo. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Taking one <laughs> is unforgivable. I yeah. always say when I hand it over, take as many as you want. The more, the better. Like, And still... I am guilty of the thing everyone's guilty of. When someone hands it back and says, do you want to check to check it's all right? You always say, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Yes. You'll never look at the picture in front of them and say, that's rubbish. Can you do it again? <laughs> yes, that is the agreed upon convention that you should just, thank you very much. Everything's great. And you are releasing the other person of the obligation that you have put upon them. That's part of the compact. That's the way it should work. And then what you do is you just linger a little bit if you really need a good picture in this location until that person leaves. And yeah. then you just get someone else and you pretend like the previous event has never occurred. That's that's <laughs> yeah, how this works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can you take some pictures of me and my wife at this location? Oh, yeah, thank you. Great, great. We're going to pretend like, you know, you're the fifth person to come by because it's all been terrible and unacceptable. But no, I don't expect people to be really great at taking pictures. And that's just that's just the way it is. To be clear, I don't expect that either. I've learned my lesson. I'm uh -huh. just endlessly disappointed by it. Okay. <laughs> so just quickly also, it has been a golden period for hot drops. Has there been a trail of hot drops in America? I'm keeping them rare, like a grey tweet. I don't want them to be too common. No, don't start this. Okay. <laughs> but Vancouver was done. A few random other places, but my favorite place to go in LA, which is like in the Hollywood Hills, the ridge along to the Hollywood sign and then behind the Hollywood sign. Mm -hmm. We went there. We went there with the Duke himself. Oh, my. Ablium, and he did a first Hello Internet history of not just a Dirk drop, but a double Dirk drop. In total, he, in fact, dropped three hot stoppers for us. Oh, on the wow. Ridge. Yeah. All have been retrieved. <laughs> One of them days later, which is a first for me. Interesting. I find they normally go pretty quickly or not at all, but there were two put behind the Hollywood sign and one of them went like that night. 
And then the other one went days later. Some guy went back, went there who was on holiday and the other one was still there and took it. I remember a while ago, there was a listener who was trying to keep track of all of the hot drops and like how many, yes. ho- how many hot stoppers are out there in the wild. Yes. And that person remains as uh, vigilant as ever. Okay. I, I, was, I wasn't sure if it's still in existence or if that time when I lost a bag of hundreds just <laughs> broke their spirit. It's <laughs> 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 like trying to diligently keep track of all of them. And then it's like, oh, and Gray lost a bag full of hundreds somewhere in America. <laughs> I did one in Rome. <laughs> this week, which I, where I was briefly, just by the Coliseum, and someone came and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. And then another Tim came, like, she got there 20 minutes later. Apparently, she'd run across Rome to get there and missed out on it by, like, 15 or 20 minutes. And, like, I felt so bad for her. I was having dinner by the train station. I said, if you come to the train station in the next hour, I'll give you one in person. And she came, and I gave it to her. <laughs> I think I was just in such a good mood because I was giddy from that Coke with a plastic straw. <laughs> right. That's, that's what it was. Yes. If Brady yeah. had a paper straw, he would have been a different Brady. Much less generous. I would have been grumpier. Grumpy. <laughs> yeah. But the hot drops continue, people. So keep your eye out. Yeah. You never know where it's going to be next. Yeah. Keep them peeled. Oh, and I guess I can actually now post them on Instagram. That makes it a lot easier instead of having to make a YouTube video. <laughs> Before the show is going to start... Sometimes I get a message from Brady about a thing to check out. And this time, Brady sent me a message saying that I had to go to NASA's Instagram stories and check out their new NASA GIFs. And I see this tweet and I'm like, oh no, what is this? This is going to be ridiculous and embarrassing. I can't believe we're going to talk about another ridiculous and embarrassing thing. And so I'm going into this with low expectations. Boy, did NASA manage to limbo under my my low expectations <laughs> for what their gifts were going to look like. We are going gifts. We're not going gifs because you know we're going to get it in the neck about this gifs gifs. No, don't even acknowledge those people. All right. Like those All right. are pointless pedants. Just push <laughs> right past them. So will you explain to the people, Brady, what these NASA gifts are? So NASA has released this pack of gifts for people to use and it's using it themselves mm-hmm. very very liberally and it's a bunch of well it's the same astronaut i guess in like that you know a typical eva nasa suit it looks like a moonwalk suit or an eva suit the big white suit with a backpack and the gold visor you know the look right american flags all over it and nasa logos but the astronaut's doing a bunch of crazy and zany things, like it'll be doing like a love heart or a dab or holding a sign saying subscribe. And so I think the idea is that we're all going to use these gifts in our everyday life. And of course, there's, there's no shortage of zany astronaut gifts in the world. But for NASA to be making these and putting them out, I think, is, is a different case. Well, as you said, you as a big NASA fan... I'm sure you're going to use this in your text communications with me from now on. I can expect NASA reaction gifts in my text messages from Brady. Hang on. Before we drop me in it, right? Because <laughs> you said that NASA had gone under a low bar in your opinion. Yeah. You tell me what you think of the gifts and you explain them to me and what your concern about them is. Here's part of the problem, Brady. I think you have poisoned my mind a little bit with... <laughs> Your lofty notions of what NASA should be. Don't worry. These gifts have gone quite some way to uh, (laughs) changing my position on that. (laughs) 
Yeah, but look, like if we could rewind back five years ago to the start of Hello Internet, and this was the first Brady complains about NASA being embarrassing corner that we had done, I might have yeah. said, I don't entirely understand what the big deal is. But you like you've put this thing in my mind and I can't know how much of this is my own opinion versus how much of this is your opinion in my head. So this looks like the sort of stickers that you can buy in the iMessage store where you can have mm. a regular text message and then you can drop GIFs and stickers on top of the text message in a mostly really annoying way. Like we've complained about Bitmoji in the past. It's that kind of thing. Here's, here's the thing though. Do you know what an astronaut in a full NASA suit doesn't have a face. They don't have an expressive face with which to communicate human emotion. And so an astronaut is a poor choice for what do you want your reaction gifts to be? Because there's, there's no face to go along with it. And so now we just have an astronaut making a whole variety of comical gestures that are too cartoony. We have excited double thumbs up, clapping back and forth, lots of pointing at signs that the astronaut is mm. holding. There's an astronaut making like a pew face, like there's something stinky, which doesn't make sense in context. Every meme dance or gesture you can think of, you know, Fortnite dances or mind blown and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Anything that is like trying to be down with the kids. Yes, there's flossing. There's an astronaut doing that flossing dance, which is very on point from two years ago, I think. Yeah. I don't know, man. I keep coming back to the core of every time we have these conversations of not understanding quite what NASA is trying to achieve with this or like, what is the brand of NASA that this furthers? And if it's just that they want people to know that NASA exists, I mean, <laughs> I guess maybe. I mean, these memes only work because people know NASA exists. Like, this isn't going to raise awareness of astronauts and NASA. Everyone already knows what NASA astronauts look like. That's why these have been made. Mm -hmm. Look, I know how people feel about this, right? And also, I know you people can dress up in, in an astronaut and suit and do silly things. And it can also be cool. Public service broadcasting, they have a, a music video for their song Gagarin, which has got people dressed in astronaut suits doing these like incredible dance moves. And it's a really cool music video and it really works. But that's because it's been made by artists and stuff. This is yeah. kind of like official NASA stuff. And this is almost like a, I don't want to use words like sacred and stuff because then people think I place too much importance on it. But like, you know, when I see these suits, I think of iconic images on the moon or Bruce McCandless doing floating through space or these, these incredible brave and pioneering spacewalks and getting to wear this suit is like a dream for millions and millions of boys and girls like this is like the ultimate to get millions? to wear this suit this isn't something you can just mm -hmm. you know put on and go into space this is like a huge badge of honor and accomplishment now it's just being used for flossing dances and silliness. It's like disrespecting the suit and everything it stands for. This suit is an icon of NASA. And 
I know anyone can make one that looks like it and do something stupid, but this is NASA themselves doing it. Yeah, it is different when it's NASA themselves doing it. I didn't realize that each of these gifts, if you hover over them, comes with some recommended hashtags. And I can't <sighs> understand how you can possibly think this demeans NASA when they have recommended hashtags like hashtag stinky, hashtag PU for their stinky reaction gif. Hashtag dab on ya, YA. There's some real winners in here for their recommended hashtags. I don't know whether or not they've said who's in the suit, if it is a real astronaut or not, but uh, oh God. I'm mildly curious about that, to be honest. But Would it make you feel better or would it make you feel worse if it's a real astronaut in the astronaut suit? I think it will have been a smarter play by NASA if it is an astronaut. Right. Because if it's just some social media flunky putting on the suit and doing it, I think that's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's not what I asked, though. I asked about how, how do you feel that a real astronaut might have done hashtag boo-hoo and then made a crying face in front of their faceplate in the suit to be filmed and put on the internet? Once you've put an astronaut in a Spider-Man suit on the space station, <laughs> that's it. We're done. So you want it to be a real astronaut inside <sighs> the suit. I don't think non-astronauts should even be allowed to wear the suit, but I know it happens. Hmm. Now I am making it more important than it is. It's like the Australian cricket team wear these baggy green caps, <laughs> this special style of cap. And in a world where everyone can buy everything that is worn in sport, like it's illegal to sell or buy baggy green Australian caps with the Australian logo on it. No one's allowed to ever wear one except like mm. an Australian cricketer. And when it's handed over mm -hmm. to you, when you play your first match for Australia, there's a ceremony and they hand over the cap to you and you put it on. And at last, you've got to the point where you can wear the baggy green cap for Australia. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, suiting up in a, in a NASA EVA suit is a bit like that. You know, it's, you're going where very few people have gone before and done great things and you're wearing something very special. And then now I'm just looking at love hearts and all sorts of stuff. Anyway. There you go. Well, I'm going to download these and I'm going to try to use them in our conversations going forward. Can you get GIFs into a video? Can we use them in the YouTube version of this this podcast video? Ooh, that is a yeah. great question. Yeah, we should totally be able to do that because it's all NASA public domain stuff. They want us to use it. Yes, they do. Brady, we'll be spreading awareness of NASA. Yeah. <laughs> To our Hello Internet audience, who I think has probably never heard about NASA until this very moment. And by the way, I was wound up on this. I didn't know this had happened until all the Tims on Twitter started saying, what's Brady going to say about this? Have you seen this, Brady? Right. <laughs> wind up merchants. Yeah. But that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So this will be the video. I'm going to collect a bunch of these together and everyone can enjoy the NASA reaction gifts. <laughs> This episode of Hello Internet is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Now, you know that Audible has hundreds of thousands of audiobooks in their catalog, but they also now have Audible Originals. These are stories created exclusively for Audible, including documentaries and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. When you sign up to Audible, you get to choose one audiobook that you want to listen to, as well as two Audible originals from a fresh selection every month. The one that I'm currently listening to is the amazingly titled A Grown-Up's Guide to Dinosaurs. If you like dinosaurs as a kid and haven't thought about them in a long time, I highly recommend it. 
Now, to start your 30-day trial and choose one audiobook plus two Audible originals absolutely free, visit audible.com slash hellointernet or text hellointernet, all one word, to 500-500. That's audible.com, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, dot com slash hellointernet or text hellointernet to 500-500. I've been listening to audiobooks for years with Audible, and you should give them a try too. Thanks to Audible for supporting the show and for giving me many things to listen to. Last time on the show, I suggested a homework for what I just thought was an interesting movie to maybe talk about a little bit. And that movie was not Brady Goes West, but it was Ingrid Goes West. Had you seen the movie? Because I thought you had, but I saw on Twitter today, you were like desperately watching it before we started (laughs) recording. I had watched it already. But I had watched it long enough ago that I I wanted to just get it fresh in my head. Mm -hmm. I was not confident in my ability to just remember it from whenever I watched it, I don't know, like four months ago maybe. I watched it about three weeks ago, and I meant to watch it again but haven't. So you've got (laughs) three-week-old one watch versus two watches from Grey, including a very recent watch, just for context. This is not a tremendously in-depth homework. I just sort of thought it was an interesting thing, and it it kind of vaguely relates to both of our lives and a bunch of other things. So that's why I just kind of wanted to mention it as a possible little homework to discuss at the end of the show. Yeah. But can I ask, what was your opinion on the movie from three weeks ago? This used to be something you didn't like discussing, like, you know. (sighs) Look, I've just given up. Yeah. I know we're not going to get through it without you just having us put the cards on the table straight away. So that's why I figure... Let's just dive into it. My cards on the table was, it was okay, a bit meh. I think in a world where Black Mirror has become like the standard bearer for this kind of satire of society and seems to have hoovered up all the best ideas and done them pretty well, any film like this is always struggling to say something original because I feel like Black Mirror have have taken all the good stuff. And I felt like I was watching a Black Mirror episode Hmm. done well, but with flaws. It wasn't like a disaster, like, say, like The Circle or something like that. (laughs) Oh, wow. I forgot about that. It felt like a reasonably good but not amazing Black Mirror episode. And I thought, I've only got a few things to say. Hmm. I think the first 15 minutes I found like a really good, awkward watch. I was watching it with my wife and we were doing lots of knowing looks at each other because it was all about that Instagram life and like sometimes it would cut close to the bone and sometimes it was funny. But So the first 15 minutes I thought was pretty good. And then I felt the film slowly and then more rapidly started becoming very implausible in a way that I wasn't entirely comfortable with, like in ways like I was thinking – that would never happen. Like, that's just not realistic. I don't think that would happen that way. So then it became a bit hard to believe. And yet the film was supposed to be quite believable. And then it also kind of had that sort of cliched, typical ending that we see a lot. And we've seen in Black Mirror several times before as well, where it has that little twist at the end where you think they've learned their lesson, but in the end, you know, it's going to get worse and the problem continues. And what was that merits one of Black Mirror? How many merits was it in the title? It was like 15 million merits. 15 million merits. Like the end of Ingrid Goes West felt like the end of that where you thought like, you know, she'd come out the other side, but she hasn't. And same as our, the protagonist in 50 million merits or whatever, you thought he'd stood up to 
the machine and then there's that twist at the end where he becomes part of it. I didn't think of Black Mirror when watching this. Although if I if I had to pick a Black Mirror episode, this is most like it's most like nosedive. Yeah, very much so. This is just a total side tangent, but did you watch the last season of Black Mirror? Yes. I have actually, yeah. What did you think about it? I can't remember what they all were. I yes. remember a couple of a couple of them I liked. <laughs> the first one about the video gaming guys I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. What were the other ones? <laughs> I thought they were I thought they were okay, but not amazing. I watched the last season, I sort of binged it all at once and came out the yeah. other side with the same sort of thing of like, I can't really remember anything that I've seen. Oh, that's it. The phone call, the one with the guy from um uh, Fleabag, the priest from Fleabag in it. Like, it wasn't a good Black Mirror, but it was a good TV show. You know where there's the... Uh... Where he's trying to call the CEO? Yeah. No, that was terrible, Brady. That was awful. <laughs> what I liked about it were the characters and the acting in it. I liked him. I, I just like him as an actor. Yeah, he's a good actor. I thought he but... was good in it. So that's why I said I liked it as a show, but not as a Black Mirror. Like, it, it wasn't a good Black Mirror episode. Right. But I just liked seeing him. And what was the other one? Rachel Jack and Ashley too. The Ashley too was the one with um, oh yeah Miley Cyrus. Miley yeah. Cyrus. The first ten minutes, I thought it was going to be good, and then suddenly I realised it wasn't good. I started watching that one, uh-huh. and I thought this is cool. My wife's going to love this one, so I paused it and said, "We should watch it together. I think you're going to like it." And we watched the first ten minutes, and she was saying, "Yeah, this is good." And then it just went completely rubbish. And at the end, I said, "I'm sorry. I didn't realise it was going to end up so bad." <laughs> I had the strangest experience watching that one, which was, I actually kind of liked that episode, but I had one main problem, which is I thought that the main actress was totally unbelievable as a teen pop (laughs) idol. Right. And I like I found it just incredibly distracting throughout the whole thing. And then when the credits came up, I was like, Miley Cyrus, where do I know that name? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. My bad. So you did, thought that one was all right. Smithereens, the one in the car, you didn't like. What yeah. did you think of Striking Vipers, the video game one? <sighs> I only remember thinking I didn't like it very much. Yeah. But I think we never even discussed it as a season because it sort of never really crossed our radar. And yeah. that concept of... Black Mirror had a couple great ideas and I feel like they should stop now because they've used up those ideas and it's it's an interesting thing to hear you compare like this movie to that in that same sort of context of Black Mirror nailed a few ideas and it's hard not to compare things that are are doing those ideas to the earlier Black Mirror episodes in particular hmm. and Again, I didn't, in my head, this movie didn't really fall into that category, but I did have that exact same thought about the later Black Mirror episodes of, okay, I feel like I'm just seeing the same thing, but a little worse each time. I'm astounded you didn't think it was Black Mirror-ish. I don't know when it was made. Uh, did, did it, it doesn't predate it, does it? It's quite a new film. No, um, no, I think it's I think yeah. it's relatively new. I think the, the reason it didn't fall into the Black Mirror category for me is plot of the movie aside, the reason I thought of it last time and why it popped into my head as homework is you brought up the thing of like text messages in cinema. Like, and how do you display text messages or like this whole internet world that we're trying to figure out how do you show on the screen? Hmm. And I thought this movie 
did a pretty good job of maybe the best version of showing what Instagram is on film. Yeah. Like they start with this montage of people on Instagram and there's a couple little moments here and there of like, what is Instagram like? And I, I feel like you could show this to someone and those parts are the best way I have seen of how do you portray through film what it is like to use Instagram or what the life on Instagram is like. Not I'm, now, I'm not saying the characters themselves. I'm saying just those little segments of here's people posting photos on Instagram, hashtag no filter, hashtag blessed, that kind of stuff. Like I've seen it done a bunch, but I, I felt like this movie really nailed that. I remember thinking if you showed this to someone who had no idea what Instagram was, you know, like your grandma or something, mm -hmm. I don't think it will have convey Instagram to them. I think it will. I felt like Instagram was almost bordering on assumed knowledge. Interesting. Interesting. I had a funny experience. There's, there's one little shot in the movie of the main actress, Aubrey Plaza, I think. She's sort of scrolling through Instagram and she's doing this little gesture where it's like, scroll up so that the, that the image comes into view and then she double taps it to give it a heart and then immediately scrolls up to the next one and like double taps to give a heart. Hmm. And she's just going through her whole feed, like scroll up, tap, tap, scroll up, tap, tap, scroll up, tap, tap. Clearly not looking at any of the photos. Like she just wants everyone to know that she's liked their pictures. It definitely captures, especially the first half of the film. Like I said, the reason <laughs> cut close to the bone and those awkward looks was it definitely captured what it's like to live that Instagram life. Like, it did a really good job of that. Yeah. Really good job of that. Yeah. So, like, when that scene came on, I remember turning to my wife and I was like, do people use Instagram like that? And, sh <laughs> and she looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, because I'm not sure I have ever liked a photo on Instagram. And I was like, who would scroll oh. through their feed and just heart all the photos. Isn't that like hearting none of the photos? I don't understand. I think it's certainly from my experience, certainly women who I know who use Instagram, it's like that. And they notice if you don't like one. Like, oh, Jane liked my last 19 photos, but not that one. Is that sending some kind of message? Do you notice when I don't like your photos on Instagram, Brady? Oh, I don't notice when you don't know because you don't like anything. Obviously, I'm not a huge Instagram user, but I'm trying to think like, where do I even go to see when someone likes my photos? I don't understand what I should be keeping track of on here. But yeah. just a couple of weeks ago, I happened to be standing in line somewhere. There was this teenage girl who was like a few places ahead of me and she had her phone out and I could see what she was doing on her phone. And of course, she had Instagram open. And was doing that exact gesture, the like, yeah. scroll up, tap, tap, scroll up, tap, tap, scroll up, tap, tap, yeah. just to heart all the photos. You would automate that process. You would have some <laughs> like macro key, wouldn't you? And <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a way to automate that. 100%. <laughs> like you learn a little JavaScript, I think you could automate that really easily. And then you could you could always be like the first one in to like the photos that anybody posts. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I found it kind of shocking to see that in in real life. Maybe I'm a little bit sheltered. But I found it really quite surprising to see someone do this, like, I don't know, like really mechanical and like hypnotized or not even hypnotized isn't right because they're not looking at it, but like it's mindless. Yeah. A sort of mindless obligation yeah. to this service. 
that has to go on. So I thought that it was an interesting representation of Instagram. But you may be right, though, that you need to know a little bit about Instagram to feel like it's being portrayed, that it doesn't give you a good idea if you know nothing about Instagram. Yeah, for example, that scene you mentioned that you like so much, like I think would lose a lot of its cleverness if you had no idea what was going on. You'd Mm. still get it. You'd still get what's going on. But it helped to know what Instagram was and how it worked, which could date the movie, of course. Yeah, it's a very in-its-time movie. But yeah, so I guess for people who, if you haven't seen the movie and if you're not going to see the movie, the basic actual plot that kicks off after the sort of introduction of here is Instagram is Ingrid Goes West is about Aubrey Plaza, who is sort of not entirely right in the head and she's a lonely person who ends up focusing on and sort of obsessing over i don't know the actress's name or the i think i just think of her as scarlet witch in my head from the marvel movies she's one of the olsen twins but like she ends up focusing on this not even an instagram celebrity but someone who just uses instagram a lot and is somewhat popular on the service an influencer of sorts yeah but i i think it's an interesting choice that she's a little bit of like a low level influencer yeah right she's yeah she's not an actual celebrity celebrity she's more like someone who is just somewhat popular on the site yeah and Aubrey Plaza's life has sort of fallen apart on the East Coast. And she says, oh, the hell with it. I'm going to sort of travel across the country with some money that I've inherited. And I'm going to try to become friends with this person. And it's just a very uncomfortable viewing experience, the whole movie. It's weird. You sort of feel bad for Aubrey Plaza, but she's also just a terrible person. And Hmm. also just being someone who works in a creative field. It's like you're sort of thinking about it from both of these characters' perspective. And uh, as I mentioned last time when I sort of assigned it for homework, it's a movie that I've been hearing a lot of creator friends sort of mention because this is also the like nightmare of anybody who lives in the public world is that... This sort of thing is like something that can happen is that someone can like fixate on you in a way that is not entirely appropriate and cross boundaries and attempt to ingratiate themselves in your life. Yeah. That's why it's been sort of making the rounds, it seems, with creators as like a movie that people have asked, oh, have have you seen this movie? Like, and what did you think about it? So it's like a warning, like, you know, if you lose your dog. It could be a fan that stole it, which is something that happens in the film. That's how she meets her. She steals her dog, and then the girl puts posters up saying, have you seen my dog? And our crazy girl then says, yeah, I found your dog, and they become friends. Yeah, 100%. If you live in the public world, don't trust the person who returns your dog. That's a lesson to be learned. Don't invite them in for dinner. Don't bring them into your life. And this is a bit like... Don't negotiate with terrorists, right? We all have to hold to this policy and it makes it better for everybody if we can just hold to this policy of don't trust the person who returns your dog. (laughs) I just thought it all got a bit implausible. I mean, the dog thing was stretching believability for me, but then she just does such extreme things that I was like, 
this would never happen, surely. What did you think of then the end? Because obviously, you know, we're not worrying about spoilers here because this is what we do. Obviously, she attempts suicide and she like, she live streams it or something like that, doesn't she? And she ends up failing in her attempt, but her attempt becomes very famous and makes her an Instagram celebrity. So the film ends with her now being having loads and loads of followers and being famous on Instagram because of her suicide attempt. Did you find that a satisfying ending or a clever or a twist or a cop-out? Or what did you think of how they ended the film? I don't know. I don't think it's a twist. This person has has tried to make friends with someone and has crossed all of these inappropriate boundaries. And it's obviously gone wrong because, you know, they're not able to make friends in this appropriate way. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, her life is terrible and she attempts suicide. And I don't know, the second time I watched it, I had this feeling of like, I'm not 100% sure how genuine I'm supposed to take this suicide attempt because she is filming herself talking about, oh, this is the real me, everybody on Instagram. Like, I've been lying to you about how perfect my life is. And everything is actually terrible. And now I'm going to kill myself. And that's the end of it. And sort of watching it the second time, I was just thinking like, I'm not 100% sure if you're supposed to, as the viewer, believe her in this moment, or if it's just more manipulation. She's actually making a kind of desperate play to do this sort of thing. But... Mm. Either way, like the, you know, the internet rewards her with this kind of, this weird way in which things can go viral of like, oh, we all love you for being just who you are. And now you are like Instagram famous for being this person. And I don't know, I think if like you have to try to figure out how are you going to end this movie? I don't think it's a terrible way to end the movie. And it sort of keeps this character consistent that she's... She's really lonely. Like, this is the core thing about this person. And I think it's one of the reasons why Aubrey Plaza is playing, like, this person who's not really right. But I still find her sympathetic. And it's like her loneliness just really comes across. Like, she is a terrible Hmm. person, but she also just has no friends. And I think the central idea in this movie is it's not really about Instagram. I feel like it says something about parasocial relationships. This idea that you, you feel a little bit like you know someone because you follow them on Instagram. And, you know, so, so she knows like, Oh, what restaurant this girl goes to and what kind of avocado toast she likes. And, she learns like, oh, you know, how, how does she decorate her house and all the rest of this? And I think there, there genuinely is like a real problem with loneliness in modern society. That this seems to be something that is on the rise, that has increased over time. But Grace, she do, but then she does become friends with her. See, I, basically, I can pinpoint mm-hmm. the point up to which I enjoyed the film. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the film up to the scene, which I also enjoyed, you know, when she becomes like, starts becoming friends with this girl who she's idolized. Mm -hmm. And then they take a picture together, like they take Mm -hmm. a selfie together and she realizes this is my moment. And she checks Instagram later 
and like the girl posts the picture and tags her in it and she's right. like I've made it I've been tagged in one of her pictures and like that was also one of those really uncomfortable interesting moments that kind of reminds me about the the awkwardness and all the the unspoken stuff about Instagram and all that I really enjoyed that scene in that moment but then that's pretty much where the film takes a turn in two ways one she's become friends with this girl now mm-hmm. so that whole interesting dynamic of wishing you could be that person's friend is gone because she kind of is her friend. And also that's where it all starts falling apart and this brother comes on the scene with this completely unrealistic plot line involving stealing phones and blackmail and all that sort of stuff, which is just did not sit right with me because I just didn't believe it could happen. Right. It lost its Instagram interestingness. Mm-hmm. It lost its obsessive fanness in a way because she was no longer just an obsessive fan. She was now a spurned friend. Mm-hmm. Then it just became this kind of, quite cliche typical movie from that point onwards where it was kind of, you know, single white female type, stalkery type film. And then it was just like, you know, any other film really. It was all right. Mm -hmm. But that first half up until that selfie point, I did quite enjoy because it was, it felt like it was a real commentary on the life we all lead. Yeah. That shot of the two of them taking the picture together was very Husbands of Instagram, which is the, (laughs) you know, the video that you've shared with me of... Of all these poor husbands having to take pictures, and it's always like, higher, higher. You need to take the picture higher. Yeah. It needs to. It needs to be back here. It needs to be this way. It needs to be that way. That's me, man. I'm on board with that. It's all about taking good photos for each other. It's our job as humans. You have real specialty in this area of taking pictures for people, but it it that was very much like, oh, yes, we're we're going to have this other person, and we're going to use him as as a kind of human tripod to take yeah. the picture for us. But yeah, no, I can see how that is the moment where the movie sort of turns and does have this weird plot line that on the second viewing, I had sort of forgotten about all of that. Like I, I remembered much better the first 30 minutes of the movie and like the yeah. last 10 minutes of the movie. And I had kind of forgotten about a bunch of that stuff in the middle. But I was just going to say though that I just think the thing with her being lonely and kind of wanting friendships and... Instagram and the social media being something that really aggravates a kind of loneliness. Mm. It's a good point that the movie is hitting on. Maybe going on Instagram and seeing all of the pictures of people whose lives you want to live or people that you wish you were closer to, it makes things much worse. Like, and it makes things much harder for you to try to have like a normal social life. That's a pretty well-established fact by now, isn't it? Isn't, you know, spending too much time looking at airbrushed perfect people on Instagram being bad for your health akin to smoking being bad for your health now? It's like, (laughs) it's just such a well-established fact. This has been a fact forever, and certainly since Instagram has been around. It wasn't wasn't like I watched this film and went, oh, my goodness, (laughs) I hadn't thought about this before. Maybe looking at all these perfect people on Instagram – is unhealthy for us in some way. It's like it's a bit like, yeah. Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't make a movie about it, but it didn't break any paradigms for me or anything. No, obviously it's not. It's not new information. I just think, mm. I, like, I felt it was just portrayed well in the first mm. part of the movie. Like, this is sort mm. of this is shown well. Like, there's there's just one shot of of her where they she's like looking at Instagram or whatever, and then they just cut to her like crying on the 
bed also looking at the images and then it's like, oh, it's just back to her living her normal life looking at stuff. I don't yeah. know. Just, I, I felt like they did a couple little things like that that sort of convey yeah. the feeling very well. It had a nice style to it. Like it was it had a nice touch. You're totally right. That is not new information. Although I, I do feel like maybe it's as of 18 months ago or maybe two years ago, whenever that, the like Facebook Analytica thing, that felt like the real turning point in the public consciousness about how do people feel about social media and companies like Facebook, that that was the real turning point of, hey, these things aren't so great. And now everybody kind of understands that these things aren't so great. Yeah, they became like a proper pantomime villain around that time. Yeah, and I do think that the comparison to smoking is maybe not the worst one. Like, I've thought about that a few times. Like, I don't know if that's overblown or if it's not overblown. I do think maybe that is an appropriate analogy that further down the line, five or ten years from now, that people will think of a lot of this stuff as much more like smoking mental health-wise. Hmm. But then, like, even as I say that sentence out loud, I think, oh, that sounds way overblown. But then I read a book recently called iGen, which was talking about some of this stuff and going through surveys of, like, mental health with people who've grown up with social media. And then, like, that kind of book terrifies you with with the, these graphs about you know what happens with depression and anxiety and suicide rates and like all of this like horrible stew of mental problems that tracks incredibly strongly with people growing up with or being very heavy users of social media hmm. then i read something like that and i think maybe this smoking metaphor is not remotely overblown maybe it's underblown i don't know but I would say mm. I like the movie more than you. It sounds like it, but I'm glad I watched it in the way I'm glad I watched Black Mirror. Yeah. Like, so I would say if someone said, oh, should I watch it? I would say, yeah, yeah, watch it. It's not a waste of your time to watch it. Maybe I just had higher expectations because you said, oh, lots of people I know have been talking about it. And so I thought maybe it was like, you know, going to be some awesome film. But it was just a, it was just good. It was just good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, should we have a quick summary of Brexit then as well while we're here? Oh, <laughs> no, Brady. <laughs> we've got to we've got to go record goodbye internet. That's what we need to do. Oh, oh, I forgot we have to you do totally that. You totally forgot. I knew you totally forgot. I had. I totally forgot and I was thinking I was off the hook.